There are three things. There are three eyewitnesses to God's glory, and as a result of these three witnesses, no man, no woman. When the Bible says man, it means mankind. No man will stand before God with any excuse for ignoring or denying him. There are three absolute statements made by God, three eyewitnesses that prove that the God of the Bible exists. And they are represented by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Since this is spiritual truth, and spiritual truth transcends the human intellect, I dare not continue unless we ask the Lord for his blessing, because Christianity is not a religion, it's a revelation. And the natural mind cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God because they are spiritually discerned. So apart from God blessing us to understand spiritual truth, nobody can go up to a blackboard and explain it to you mathematically. So let's go to the Father now. In fact, I, I think it would be good if we stood and we asked for the Lord's blessing because when we see him, nobody, nobody will be sitting down. We're either going to be on our faces with our faces on the floor or we're going to be standing. But I don't think anybody's going to be sitting nonchalantly when we stand in his presence. Lord Jesus, this is the day that you have made. And we have gathered here this morning to rejoice and be glad in it and to count our blessings. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would bless us this morning to number our days realize that life is short and eternity is long. Sin is deadly. Hell is certain. And Jesus is real. Father, I lift up this precious congregation this morning, the pastor and the elders, and everybody from the least to the greatest that helps make this possible this morning. And all these precious people that came to worship you, Father God, we ask that you look down upon us this morning with mercy and grace. And give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you are trying to say to us this morning and hearts to respond. I pray, Father God, that if any of us are living for time, I pray, Lord Jesus, that when we walk out of here this morning, we begin to live in light of eternity. In light of your word, Father God, that we might be changed into the, to the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. I pray that you cleanse us all from our sins, Lord God. And once again, I pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you want to say to us this morning and hearts to respond. May none of us walk out unchanged, I pray in Jesus' name. And if there's an unsaved person in this room, we pray for a miracle in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Please be seated. Romans chapter 1, verse 20 says, Since the beginning of creation, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so men are without excuse. In other words, all an honest thinking person has to do is take a good look at the sun and the moon and the stars 
and the life cycle of the planet that we live on and your own human body, which is fearfully and wonderfully made, to know that anything so perfectly designed and well-balanced and complex as is our world and our universe could in no way have made itself, and only a fool would say in his heart, there is no God. Or like this. I think I've said this once before here, but I want to tell you again that the atheists are lobbying Congress for a National Atheist Day. I think they should give it to them. I think they should give them April 1st, which is April Fool's Day, because only a fool would say in his heart, there is no God. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare his glory, and the firmament, that is the sky, shows his handiwork. Night after night they pour forth speech, and there's no language where their voice is not heard. When we look at our own, our own neighborhood, when we look at our own sun, 93 million miles away from here, they estimate that it's consuming 400 million tons of hydrogen a second. It's 93 million miles away, and we are rotating around the sun once every 364 days and 23 hours and 59 minutes and 23 seconds precisely on the dot. Not only are we revolving around the sun once a year, but we're rotating at 24,000 miles an hour, just like a pig on a spit. He keeps us spinning at just the right speed and revolving at just the right speed so we remain at just the right temperature so we can sit here comfortably. What is it that keeps the earth in orbit around the sun and why does the moon go around the earth as the earth is going around the sun and the rest of the planets are all going around the sun? What makes it do that? How come, how come this morning the earth doesn't get tired of its orbit and just fly off somewhere? I mean, what is it that's holding it in orbit? When I was a kid, they used to have these little gas airplanes and you could put gas in it and, and get the thing going and the thing would fly and you'd have to hold it by a, by a rope and you'd have to stand there and go around in a circle and that little thing would be going, Wing! is there somebody, is there an atlas holding, holding on by a chain or something that we're just held in this orbit? It's a miracle. There's not a scientist in the world who can explain it to you. How did the sun get there? Could the sun have always existed? That's impossible. The sun had to have a beginning. I know who put it there, and I know who threw the first match on it to get it going. His name is Jesus. The first witness to God's glory, to God's reality, to God's existence, to God's infinite mind and infinite abilities, the first eyewitness that every man, no man will stand before God with any excuse because the sun and the moon and the stars declare his glory. So that... In that, we see the Father, the Father, the creator of all things. Your own body is fearfully and wonderfully made. They're just now learning the wonders of the DNA cell and the mathematical codes that make all this possible. And they estimate that the information found in one DNA cell is the equivalent to all of the information in New York City. And it's absolutely mathematically perfect. Perfect. 
And the complexity of one cell is beyond our wildest imagination, and we're made up of more than a trillion of them. And theoretically, we could take one cell from your body and create another person identical to yourself. Your eyeball has more than a million receptors in it which translate everything you see instantaneously through your nervous system to the brain, which makes more electrical connections every day than all the telephone systems in the world combined, and we sit here like nothing's happening. Do you know right now that we're traveling at an average speed of 66,000 miles an hour around the sun? And the galaxy, the local neighborhood that we live in called the Milky Way, is 100,000 light years across. The nearest star beyond the sun is Alpha Centauri. It's four light years from here. You'd have to, get in a, you'd have to go 186,000 miles a second for four years to get to the next star. And that's just our closest neighbor. You'd have to go at that speed, 186,000 miles a second for 100,000 years just to get to the end of the block. And they estimate that there are 100 billion stars in our Milky Way alone, and they say there's 100 billion galaxies or 100 billion like that. I get a kick out of that when I hear that or read that. Oh, they estimate there's 100 billion galaxies. What's at the end of the 100 billion? Is there a brick wall there? And what's on the other side of the wall? That's how I first came to the realization that God had to be real. Because all this could not have made itself. Witness number two is the word of God. This is the, this is the word made flesh. This is God the Son. I know for a fact when I read my Bible, I've read, you know, there's five major world religions and each one of them has a book, and that's what makes it very interesting. Because those books are so chock full of information that they can be tested, they can be verified. There's enough information in all those books that they can be tested. 30% of the book I read, which has over 800,000 words, 30% of the Bible is prophecy. 30% of it is prophetic in nature. Past, present, and future, no one can account for the information that's in the Bible. If God wrote a book, after all, I think we could expect a few things from him. I think if God wrote a book, you'd expect it to at least be the number one runaway bestseller. It's true of the Bible. If God wrote a book, I would think that it would be no problem for him to write a book that would, beyond, that would literally speaking, uh, in a literary sense, would be beyond anything any human being could ever write. Well, if you've read the Bible, you know that the literary content of the Bible is beyond anything ever, any man has ever written. You'd also expect it to contain metaphysical information or information in there that you could not discern from the five senses. Well, in Isaiah chapter 40, all the way through 49, he says over and over and over again, he says, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Only I can declare the end from the beginning. And that is precisely what he did in the Bible. God pre-wrote history. The Bible tells us how the world began. The Bible tells us the most significant events that would happen in between. And the Bible tells us how the world's going to end and how we're going to enter into eternity. Only God can do that. In fact, when somebody offers me a subscription to a newspaper like the Chicago Tribune, I say, no, thank you. I read tomorrow's newspaper today. And they say, how do you do that? I say, well, I read the Bible. 
I'm the first and I'm the last. There is no God besides me. Only I can declare the end from the beginning. And after that, in fact, he gets a little sarcastic. I'm paraphrasing, but essentially what he says here is, you think you got a God? Cool. There's all kinds of gods out there. You got a God? Let him step up to the plate and tell you what's going to happen in the future. I'd like to see it myself. I'd like to be impressed too. He challenges every other so-called religion to step up to the plate and predict the future because only God can do that. I'll give you a couple of quick examples, past, present, and future. Scientists tell us that everything consists of four things, time, space, matter, and energy. The Bible begins in the beginning, that's time, God created, that's energy, the heavens, that's space, and the earth, that's matter. But that's just a coincidence. Let me give you something you can really sink your teeth into. Noah's Ark is a story that the world likes to laugh about. They like to think Christians are goofy because we believe that Noah built an ark and all the animals were on the ark and God saved the world through Noah. It's a funny story. Oh, really? I think it's a funny story too because interestingly, in the book of Genesis, God gives Noah the exact dimensions of Noah's ark. He tells him how to build it, how long, how high, and how wide to build it. What's the word they use? Cubits. From the elbow, how do you know that? God bless you. From the, from the elbow to the top of the middle finger, that's a cubit. And God tells Noah exactly how many cubits long, wide, and high to build the ark. Three levels. Well, it's interesting because it was only in our day, it was only in this generation that we could have tested those, those, uh, those facts and figures. We could have tested those ratios of height, width, depth, assume Try to come close to how much weight they assumed was in that ark and actually test it. And they've done that. I've seen, the, I've seen a video, a science video of the testing of, of a model of Noah's ark. And they built a model to those exact specifications, those exact ratios. And what they discovered was that a boat built to those specifications would have been the most seaworthy vessel ever constructed. <laughs> how did Noah know that? Well, he didn't, but God did. In fact, they use those ratios to build battleships with today. I think that's pretty impressive, don't you? But that's just the beginning of the Noah's flood story. Another interesting thing about the story of Noah's ark is the fact that to this day, and I have personally corresponded with scientists who have experienced this, to this day, they find uh, uh, fossils of fish on the highest mountain peaks in the world. And in the book of Genesis, we're told that the highest mountain peaks in the world were once covered by 15 feet of water. How'd those fish get up there? They have flying fish back then? Maybe back then the fish had legs and they just walked up there. No, no, there's only one possible explanation, and for that we'd have to turn to the book of Genesis because it tells of Noah's flood. Another interesting thing about the flood of Noah, and then I'll move on. If we had a big world map here, you see how the, how the continents are broken up. You can picture Africa in your mind. You can picture South America. Well, if we cut them all out like a, like a jigsaw puzzle, you would discover that all the pieces fit together perfectly. Obviously, at one time, there was only one landmass, and the rest was all water, and that is precisely what the Bible describes before Noah's flood. Something cataclysmic happened to break up those land masses and separate those, those plates that they rest on. We know what it was. It was Noah's flood. 
There's enough information in the Bible that we can test the Bible to know that we really are reading a divinely inspired document. No man could have made this up. But I'll give you something you can really sink your teeth into if you're not impressed with Noah's Ark. Over 700 times in the Old Testament, God identifies himself as the God of Israel. In many ways, in many different fashions and forms, he says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Over 700 times, the creator of the universe identifies himself with a piece of real estate and a small group of people. And he says, I am their God. Interestingly, the Bible was written by 40 different authors over the course of 1,500 years on three continents and three different languages, Asia, Africa, and Europe. It was written in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Interestingly, it has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and everything agrees perfectly. But what's really interesting about it is virtually every one of the Old Testament prophets prophesied in fact, God says, you want to see my hand? Do you want to really see my hand in history? Do you want to see my hand move with your own two eyes? Keep your eyes on a little piece of real estate called Israel and watch Jerusalem even more specifically. Because God gave his revelation to the world through a group of people called Jews, he expected more from them. To whom much is given, much will be required. Let not many become teachers. You'll be judged by a stricter standard. So God judges based on the amount of light you had. We'll all be judged by the same standard, but the rewards and the punishments will be based on exactly how much light we had. So listening to this message this morning is kind of dangerous. God identifies himself with Israel. And he's, he predicts in the, he, he, before it ever happens, he pre-writes Israel's history and he says not once but twice would they be exiled from their own land and twice he would bring them back into the land but the second time, not until the land had been desolate for a long, long period of time and then he would bring them back and it would be a sign that we were living in the last of the last days. Even Jesus himself in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21 said, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near, and I am at the very doors. Clearly, the Bible teaches that the last war of the world will be fought over a little piece of real estate about as big as Rhode Island at the moment, a little piece of real estate called Israel. In Zechariah 12, Zechariah 14, it says as clear as a bell, all the nations will come against Israel. Well, currently there are about 5 million people living in the nation of Israel, and they are surrounded by 350 million people, and the majority of those people have a bitter hatred towards these people. Not all of them, but a large percentage of their neighbors literally hate them and live for their destruction. In fact, it's believed that the balance of power in the Middle East is going to change dramatically in the very near future because Russia claims, whether it's true or not, we don't know, but Russia claims that they have discovered a new missile technology that is so far advanced beyond anything we currently have that there's no anti-missile system in the world that can even approach it to defend it. The problem with that is, if it's true, 
Unfortunately, they're known for selling their weapons and their technology to anybody who's got the money. They don't care who has it. Clearly, the Word of God says that there will be a last world war, and it will be the war that will end all wars. And Jesus himself said, unless those days were cut short, no flesh would be saved. (sighs) Makes me glad I'm a member of the church. Amen, Michael? The Bible tells us what happened in the past. The Bible describes what's happening right now today, and the Bible tells us what will happen tomorrow. It's been 100% accurate all this time. In fact, if you've never read the book of Ezekiel, if you're not sure about what I'm saying right now concerning this prophecy of Israel, I told you virtually every Old Testament prophet, almost every Old Testament prophet speaks of it. Go home today, I challenge you, and read Ezekiel chapter 36, 37, 38, and 39. If that doesn't blow your mind, well, we need to talk again then. So first, we have all of creation. Second, we have the Word of God, the Bible. But thirdly, we have the Father, the Son, and then we have the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 2, verse 15 says, The law is written on every man's heart. Every man from the beginning of time until the end of the world, whether or not he has ever heard of Jesus Christ or ever even seen a Bible, knows in his heart it's wrong to murder, it's wrong to steal, it's wrong to lie, it's wrong to have another man's wife, it's wrong to dishonor your father and your mother, it's wrong to desire what belongs to another man. Every man knows that there's one day a week that's different from every other day of the week. He knows it in his heart, he can feel it, and every man knows there's a God in heaven. Romans 2.15 assures us that God's moral law is written on every man's heart. When Cain killed Abel, that was long before the Ten Commandments were ever given. And when God showed up and he said, hey, where's your brother? And he said, am I my brother's keeper? And God said, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. When Potiphar's wife tried to deceive Joseph... Joseph said to Potiphar's wife, how could I do this great evil and sin against God? That was long before the Ten Commandments were ever given. God's law is written on every man's heart. None of us had to learn how to lie. None of us had to learn how to steal. We were born that way. People aren't thieves because they steal. They steal because they're thieves. We were born sinners. We don't have to teach people how to sin. We have to learn how to be righteous, amen? Nobody had to teach you guys how to lie and steal, did they? It just came naturally, didn't it? Well, it did to everybody else in this room, too, believe me. (laughs) Those are the three witnesses that no one can deny, no one can excuse. The Creator... Father, the Son, the Word of God written, and the law written on every man's heart. It was that law that drove Jesus to the cross. That is why Jesus had to die on the cross. Fortunately, God gave us 1,500 years of historic 
context of them slaughtering animals before Jesus came on the scene to die in our place, which gave it context so it could make sense. Saints, I want to appeal to your hearts. I want to appeal to your emotions. I want to appeal to the real world. A few nights ago, I was driving home on Route 90 near Elgin, Illinois, headed east. A couple of weeks ago, this was, actually. We were at a friend's home, and I got on the on-ramp, and as I was getting on the on-ramp, there was a car spun out, and there was a tow truck and a policeman. I had my wife and five children in the van with me. It was 9 o'clock at night, and it was dark. I slowed down just enough to take a look at this car that was spun out just to see what was happening, and everything was okay, so I got on the expressway, and I got up to 65 miles an hour. About 10 minutes into my drive, I passed an 18-wheel truck. He was also going 65, but I just didn't want to follow him, so... I picked up a little speed. I went around this truck. And about a minute or two after passing this truck, my wife, who is a very conservative person, said, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, pull over. I couldn't see anything but smoke. And then I saw a flame. And then I saw pieces flying through the air, and I pulled over. I wasn't sure even which side to pull over to because I couldn't see anything. Well, my wife saw it. Here's what happened. We're going 65 miles an hour in a car about 50 yards in front of us. He's also headed east going 65 miles an hour and a car going west. Went through the middle, down into the little ditch there, up over on the other side, through the air, head on into this car in front of us. I pulled over, and when I, as I approached the scene, the engine was on the road about this big, just the block. Everything else was off the engine. I walked down to the, to the first car, and there were three people in the front seat, and we pulled back the airbag, and they were dead. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind, they were dead on impact. They had a face, the the person that I looked at had a face that you could only see in a movie or in the real world in this case. So I knew that they were dead. But nonetheless, only believing them to be dead and not being sure they were dead, I identified myself as a minister of Jesus Christ. And I said, if you can hear me, I don't think you're going to survive. You've just been in an accident. And you need to say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. If you can hear me, please say that in your heart because you're going to meet your maker. I walked over to the other car that was about uh, 25 yards away. And we shined a light in his face and he was alive. This was the guy who was flying through the air. I identified myself as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I said, I don't know if you can hear me, but there's an ambulance on the way. You've been in an automobile accident. The police are on the way. 
But you need to say right now, you need to say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Can you hear me? And he gurgled something. He acknowledged me. My 17-year-old daughter, who's studying to be a nurse, somebody handed her a first aid kit, and she pulled out a big pad of gauze and applied it to his forehead because he was bleeding from the head. And she starts getting him to recite Psalm 23 because she knows that you're supposed to try to keep them conscious. This was a brutal, brutal scene. I mean, I'm not going to attempt to describe it to you because it was, it's very graphic, and it was a brutal thing to look at. Here's my point. I've been telling my kids since the day they were born. No man knows the day or the hour of his death. No man knows what a day may bring forth. We do know that that day is coming, burning like a furnace, when everything that can be shaken will be shaken, and the day of the Lord is coming. And it says he's going to crack the sky, and he's coming in flaming fire with his angels, inflicting vengeance on all those who do not believe the gospel and all those who do not obey God. There's not a, if you went to the doctor today and found out you only had six months to live, how many of you think you'd be a little more gracious, humble, easy to get along with, willing to read your Bible, contribute to the church, be willing to forgive that person you have this unforgiveness in your heart against? Oh, I think, I think we'd be a lot more willing. I think we'd be a lot more teachable and a lot more humble and a lot more willing to, to contribute or help the church when they need something. I think we'd be a lot more willing to forgive our brother. You know what, saints? The question isn't, are you going to worship? The question is, are you going to do it voluntarily or mandatorily, because the Bible says someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord to the glory of God, the glory of Father. There's not a person in this room who has a guarantee of living another six months. There's nobody in this room who doesn't know that you don't have the beginning stages of cancer. There's nobody in this room who doesn't know if perhaps a brain aneurysm is forming in your skull right now. In fact, I guarantee of one thing, we're all in the process of dying. All of us are. And if you don't believe that, take a good look in the mirror and think about what you looked like five or ten years ago. Sin is killing us all. I came here to beg you to be reconciled unto God. If you have aught in your heart against anyone, you better, you better get on your knees before it's too late. Because someday it's going to be too late to forgive your brother. It's going to be too late to open your Bibles and read them and seek God with all your heart. 
Having trouble finding God? I'll tell you how to find him. The Bible literally says he is seeking people to worship him in spirit and in truth. Try getting on your knees every night before you go to bed and begin to seek God with all of your heart. He'll find you. He'll find you right where you are. I want to challenge you as a church. If there's anybody in this room who's been playing games with God, got some secret sin you don't really want to let go of, would you like to get more serious with God? I'm challenging you right now. Get delivered from the fear of what anyone will think of you and stand to your feet right now. I want to pray for you. If you know the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart and He's saying, I want more of you, I'm not looking for any more part-time help. He wants all of your hearts. I want to give Him all of my heart. I'm not satisfied with my walk with God. I want more. I want less of me and more of Him. Amen? The greatest man under heaven prayed, Lord, let me decrease that you might increase. We're in big trouble. This world's in big trouble. Is there anybody else who knows in their heart they need to stand to it? Now, this is real. Heavenly Father, in the name above Every other name, I pray that you look down upon these precious people, sitting or standing. 